All right, folks, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 11. The Gospel of John chapter 11. And then what we're doing is, is we're, we're going through the Gospel. We, we go through books here in our church. And uh, for the last, well, for the last while, we've been going through the Gospel of John. And here's what our journey is as we go through John. We want to meet Jesus. That's the reality, because I don't know about you, but it gets to the place when you read the Bible a lot, a lot of times you'll find yourself just skimming through your reading. You know, you've read it so many times before, and, and that happens with the gospel. We, we know the stories about Jesus, and so we just kind of read it, and we kind of move on, because we're trying to get to the main point. And the main point of what we're going to look at today is, is Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. But there are so many other things that are going on that tell us about who he is and what we need to know him. But here's what else it reveals. It reveals who we are. And it reveals a lot about the world around us. And especially here in chapter 11. Chapter 11 is in that section of ver verses from chapter 7 to chapter 12, which talks about rejection, about the people rejecting the Messiah, rejecting Jesus. And we're going to see that today because you're saying, wait a minute, what do you mean we're going to see that today? We're going to see Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Yeah, but the passage also emphasizes that not everybody's happy with that. And even though Jesus does this fabulous miracle, they don't believe. They don't believe. And we struggle with that. You and I struggle with that on a daily basis. What do you mean on a daily basis? Because most of the people around us don't believe. You have family members. I have family members that don't believe. We have people that we work with that don't believe. We have friends who don't believe. And you try to share with them and you try to express to them the reality of Jesus. And... They don't believe. Some of them are nice about it. Some of them tell you, I am sick of hearing this. Quit talking to me about this. And we don't know how to react. And it, Well, we do. We react, but it's not necessarily in a right way. What do you mean we react? Well, it defeats us. And, and that's what I want you to see today. We're going to look, first of all, at a couple points I want you to make before we look into our passage. I want us to understand unbelief for a moment, Okay. Here's two points I want to make. First of all, we don't really grasp why people will not believe in Jesus. That's a big question mark to us because, in a sense, it was almost easy for us, right? In a sense, somehow we came to that place of grasping the reality of the risen Christ and our need for him and, and, and even to the place of saying, yes, Jesus, here I am. And praying a prayer and, and asking him to come into our lives and following him and giving him our lives. We, we, we were like, why doesn't anybody see that? You know, I remember as a 19-year-old, 1985, coming to Christ and coming home and sharing it with my family and, and being like, why don't you see what I'm seeing? I still wrestle with that. And we have a hard time grasping why they don't believe in Jesus. Isn't that hard? 
which is kind of like, why? Why don't they see it? And here's what happens. We view their unbelief as a result of our failure. So here's what happens. So we have loved ones, we have friends, we've been sharing with them for years. We've even learned how to share with them and we'll make allusions to Jesus and so forth. And, and they'll still reject. And, and so here's what happens. Because they don't believe, we're like, we don't understand why. Why don't they believe? So we've got to find someone, some reason why they don't believe. So ultimately, here's what we do. We blame ourselves. What do you mean we blame ourselves? Well, we do things like this. Maybe the way that I presented it was wrong. My timing is always off. I, I always choose the wrong time to share. Maybe you shouldn't have done it during the football game when they're really into the game. Here's another one. I don't know as much as you do, George. I didn't know how to answer their questions or I answered it wrong. I'm the reason why they don't believe. So we blame ourselves. And it's a big weight because we love them. We want them to know Jesus. We want to see them. When we go to be with Jesus, we, we are desperate for them to know Christ, especially if you're married to someone and they don't know Jesus. You want them to know Jesus. And so you blame yourself for whatever reason. And I, I've just given you a few examples. We come up with a multitude of them if we were to share them here. And here's what I want you to see. It's not about you. You may want to write that down. Their unbelief is not about you. Are you, are you sure about that, Jesus? Are you sure about that, George? Are you sure that it's not about me? No, it's not about you. It's actually about them. And we're going to see that today when we look at this great miracle and so let me remind you, here we are, we've been looking at it over the last few weeks. Remember, Jesus was out where John the Baptist was baptizing. He, he went there after being totally rejected by the Jewish leaders and so forth in Jerusalem. They're out to kill him. He's over beyond the Jordan where, where, where John was baptizing. Word comes to him. It's a day's journey from where he was to Bethany, where Lazarus was with, with his sisters, Mary and Martha. And a message comes to him and says, Lord, the one you love is sick. Come. And that's the message you would send. Jesus, we need you to come and heal. And, and the amazing thing about the passage is Jesus delays for two days. And then makes the journey. And before he leaves on that one day journey, he tells his disciples, Lazarus is dead. And it's for your sakes that I'm going. Why? Because he's about to do something spectacular. So when he shows up, okay, remember now, this is the third day after he gets the message. He's there. He finds out Lazarus has been in the grave four days. So you, can, you kind of picture it. It's a day's journey to get to Jesus. So right after the message was sent to go get Jesus, Lazarus dies. It's four days from that point now. He's in the grave. And Jesus shows up. And it's for our sakes that this happens. 
So I want you to look with me. Let's look at this together. We're going to look at what I describe as the ultimate rejection. So if you have your Bibles, if you're using a pew Bible, if not, you can also look up on the screen. Let's start with verse 38. Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was laying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out, bound hand and foot with grave cloths, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did, believed in him. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. And if we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take both our place and our nation. One of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and not that the whole nation should perish. Now this he did not say on his own authority. But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not only for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. And then from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. Therefore, Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim, and there remained with his disciples." And the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went from the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They sought Jesus and spoke among themselves as they stood in the temple. What do you think that he will not come to the feast? Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew where he was, they should report it that they might seize him. Now, folks, what we're going to see here with these verses is what I'm calling the ultimate rejection. And here's how we're going to build it up. First of all, we're going to see the glory of God in verses 38 through 44. That's the healing. You're going to see the glory of God. It is amazing what takes place. But with that, we're going to see a willful choice. 
a willful choice. Because what I see happening here in this passage is something that you and I need to grasp, especially when we consider those around us, even though we share Jesus with our lives, we share Jesus with our word, even though the reality exists as Jesus expresses himself through our lives, through answered prayer and the peace that he gives us as we live our lives, the question is, why don't they believe? Instead of blaming yourself, we need to understand some th things about the willful choice on the part of people. So let's first of all look at the glory of God. First of all, let's go back to verse 38. Notice again, so he comes to the tool. This is what always amazes me about this passage. Jesus knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But look at verse 38. Here's what it says. Then Jesus again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb. What's going on here? Why, why is Jesus groaning in himself? He's, he's coming to the tomb. He knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. What's happening here? Here's what I want you to see. Jesus is emotionally moved by our plight. When I look at this passage and I see how Jesus is interacting, he's interacting with the pain of Mary and Martha, he's interacting with the mourning of the people for Lazarus, he's coming to the grave and there is Lazarus, he has received the ultimate result of the curse, and that is physical death. Jesus is groaning within himself. The reality is, is that he is not indifferent to us and our pain and our suffering. He feels for us. And, and I'll be honest with you, I need to hear that. You need to hear that. Why? Because life happens. Stuff happens. Problems happen. And, and yes, sometimes the problems are a consequence of what I do and what you do, right? But then sometimes it just comes looking for you. And it's painful. Did you know what I'm saying? It's painful. You don't go to the doctor wanting a report from the doctor saying you've got this physical ailment. And then you get the bomb dropped on you. And what do you do with that now? And, and, and the heartache is real. Nobody asks. I, I, I don't think we had a prayer meeting for inflation, right? If that was taking place, nobody told me about it because we're not asking for economic problems, right? But yet it happens. So now we're having to make decisions about where do we put our money? How do we spend our money? How do we do this? Or is there enough money coming in? What do I do? And, and, and what happens in the midst of life as it happens... The natural question that evolves from us is, okay, Lord, do you know what's going on? Do you see what's happening? I don't know that I can take anymore. Isn't that what we say in our hearts? Why, why is this? And then here's our natural. 
What did I do? What did I do? And sometimes, yeah, maybe you did something. Remember, I told you, sometimes there's consequences. But a lot of times, it has nothing to do with you. It just has to do with the world that we live in. But yet, we, we gravitate to the reality of, do you know what I'm going through, Lord? And what we see here in a passage like this, especially the, the glory of God, is this. He knows exactly what you're going through. And he feels for you. He feels your pain. And some of you, here's the reality, some of you need to hear that this morning. Why? Because a lot of times, you know, I, you know here's the thing. I, I love my wife, okay? So Lori and I, June's coming up. It's going to be 29 years of marriage, okay? And, and I love my wife, and, 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 and she can tell that something's bothering me because I get irritable, okay? And I can sit there and express to her what's going on, and, and she can be understanding and listen to me and think she understands. But then I'm telling her, and I'm thinking, she doesn't understand. She doesn't understand. She's trying to understand. There must be something wrong with my words. She doesn't, what, what's going on? It's me, because I feel like nobody understands what's happening with me. Well, it's, it's natural, right? Because she can't read my mind. She can't read my feelings. She doesn't feel them in that moment. So while she empathizes with me and is a support to me, I still feel like it's not there. But that's not true with God because God does understand. God knows exactly how I'm feeling. God knows exactly what I'm experiencing. God knows everything. And here's what it is. He feels with us. He feels the pain with you. In fact, he's not running away from you because of the pain. He's running towards you. That's the awesome glory of God. Here's the second thing I want you to see from this passage. Look with me at verse 39-42. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench, for he's been in the... He's been dead four days. Okay, we understand that. Really hot climate. No embalming process. Decomposition is going to take place. We can't open that grave, Jesus. Now listen to what Jesus says. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that you, if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from its place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. So Jesus is praying and he's saying, look, Lord, I know you hear me, but I'm praying out loud, not for me, it's for them. Why for them? Because he's about to do something for them. What is it? Here's the point I want you to see. Jesus acts so that we understand who he is. He's acting so that we understand who he is. And let's be honest, folks. Somebody in the grave, four days, by that point, decomposition is taking place. Here comes Jesus to the grave 
calls him up out of the grave. What's going to go through your mind as you read that? If you were there, oh my goodness, who is this? Because he just did something that has never taken place before. Even Think about it. Even in the other Gospels, when Jesus raised up the little girl who had been dead, she wasn't in the grave. She wasn't dead for three days. Remember, the father came to get Jesus because she was sick. And on the way, she dies. But yet Jesus comes and raises her up. This is even beyond that resurrection. Here's somebody who's been dead four days in the grave. Jesus calls him up out of the grave. And why did he do that? For you and I. Because if he could do that, he can do anything, right? If he could do that, he can do anything. It's showing us who he is. It's helping us to understand this isn't just Joe Schmo showing up and doing some parlor tricks. And for them, the Jewish people of that day, it's showing them the Messiah has shown up, the Christ has shown up. And that's what this is about. It's so that they understand who he is. And that brings me to the reality here. Verse 43 to 44, it's the whole issue of the raising here. Look with me. Just in two short verses, here's what he says. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came bound hand and foot with grave clothes and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Here's what I want you to see. Jesus can do the impossible. He can do the impossible. Because that's who he is. Now, again, we're looking at this and we're saying, okay, George, what, what does that have to do with this issue of unbelief? You know, we're looking at this, I understand the grasp of the story, and yeah, it's powerful, Jesus can do anything, but we're talking about the ultimate rejection. Well, here's what I want you to see, okay? Here's what I want you to see. We're getting ready to see that after he does this spectacular, mind-blowing thing. Isn't it a mind-blowing thing for him to go to a grave? Guy's been there four days, calls him up out of the grave like nothing's happened. Raises him from the dead. That's, that's mind-blowing. Or does that happen every day in Kerwinsville? Doesn't happen, does it? So in, in this mind-blowing thing, there's people who are rejecting it, and not just rejecting it, they really want to kill him now. Now think about how we handle people who reject us when we share belief. Remember I told you our tendency is to blame ourselves. Maybe it's the way I shared it. Maybe it's the timing. Maybe it's because I didn't know the questions. Here, here's what I want you to see. Was it the manner in which he did it that they didn't believe? Like shouting it, Lazarus, come forth. Should he have done, Lazarus, come forth. Then they would have believed? 
No. What he did was just beyond comprehension. Calling somebody out of the grave. And they still don't what? Believe. Why? I want to give you three things that are going to help you to understand why people don't believe. And hopefully it'll help you not to beat yourself up. Still be a witness. Still be a testimony. But don't own it. Because let, let's kind of remind ourselves, one day, the, 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 when Jesus comes back at the end of the millennial kingdom, the great white throne judgment, all humanity will be raised. The book of life will be there, and those whose names are not written in it will be cast in the lake of fire. Picture this scene. Somebody will stand before the Lord and give an account, and here's the excuse. You know, Jesus, I would have believed in you if it wasn't for George. He just didn't answer my question the right way. He misquoted you, Jesus. Do you really think that that's going to hold water? No. No, so don't beat yourself up. What is it? Well, let's take a look. Here's the three things I want you to see, okay? 45 through 50, here's what happens. The Pharisees give the report. They hold a special council. The chief priests are there. The Pharisees are there. What are we going to do about this? If we don't do something, everybody's going to believe him. Well, yeah, isn't that the point? He's doing these things so that they can believe that the Messiah has shown up, right? What's going on here? Many choose to, re to reject in spite of what Jesus has done. They choose to reject. I mean, think about it. What's, what's going on here? I mean, a report comes, hey man, did you hear what happened over in Bethany today? We were at the graveyard and I was there to go visit my Uncle Joe and put flowers down for him. And, and man, some guy showed up and he yelled out and said, come out of the grave. And some guy walked up out of the grave. That was Jesus. Wow, do you believe that? Oh my goodness, really? That's a problem. That's a problem? We've got to have a meeting. We can't have this happening. They're willfully choosing to reject him in spite of what he's done. Think about something for a moment. What are they worried about? If you read here in the passage, they're worried about the Romans coming and taking them from their place and taking their nation away. What does it mean, their place? Their place, their standing in society. They're worried about the Romans coming and affecting their standing in society and not just that, destroying the nation. Now, give me a break. Jesus comes, speaks a word, God raises up out of the dead. Do you not think he can handle some Romans? And all he did was come out of the grave. The Messiah. And what are they worried about? Themselves. See, many choose to reject in spite of what Jesus has done. Here, here's the issue. The issue is their comfort in the present time. That's what the issue is. The issue in their rejecting, it's not that you don't have enough proof. 
It's not that you didn't answer their questions. I have found that sometimes people just reject for the fact of just simply, I don't care. I want to do my thing. It doesn't matter. The issue is, right now, where they are at, can they keep doing their own thing? Because here's the thing. When you realize that there is a God, when you realize that there is a Jesus, and even though he died for you and wants to have a relationship with you, that changes things, doesn't it? And one of the things that it changes, hopefully it changes, is that your life changes in the direction that it goes in. But here's the problem. A lot of people don't want the direction to change. They want to keep heading in the path they're going in. And that has nothing to do with you. It has to do with who? Themselves. The issue is their comfort in the present tense. And here, finally, here's the thing. But here's the amazing thing. God uses the rejection to accomplish his will. It's okay, they have this meeting, they're worried about this. Listen, to this. this is the most interesting interaction here. And then look at how John comments on it, okay? If we look here in, in, in reality over at verse 49. One of them, Caiaphas, being the high priest that year. Now, what do you mean that year? Okay, let me explain to you. At this point, the Romans didn't want one guy to be the leader all the time. So what they did was, is even though the Jews would choose a high priest and he would be the high priest for life, they came along and said, we can't have him for life. We're going to give him a term limit. They can only be a high priest for a certain amount of time. So that year, it was this guy named Caiaphas. Okay, so Caiaphas being the high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. They're all worried about Jesus and the Romans coming, he said. Nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. Now here's how John looks at it. Because we would look at that, if that, boy, that's a harsh statement. Boy, that's the ultimate rejection. We've got to get rid of him. John comes, look with me, verse 51, now this he did not say on his own authority. What? Look at what it says. But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. Here's the point I want you to see. Even with their willful choice, God uses the rejection to accomplish his will. Even though the high priest says, we've got to get rid of him for the sake of the nation. Yeah, yeah, that's true. For the sake of all, right? Including you and I. He gave his life for us. And God uses their unbelief for his glory. Now, what does that do for me, me, George? What does that mean for me as far as God using their rejection? Here's the thing. You can't own it. Everyone is accountable for themselves. Now, let me just stop. 
That doesn't relieve you from, well, I guess I don't need to share it. No, you still need to share. You still need to give the gospel. You still need to pray for them. You still need to look for opportunities to share. But when they reject, it's not about you. It's about them and their choice. And guess what? He's still God. And he's using that for whatever means and whatever's happening. And I need to rest there. Say, okay, George, what do we do with this? We want to meet Jesus. We want to understand ourselves. Here's the thing I want you to see. Let's remind ourselves of a few things here. Jesus is God. No one can do what he can do. Ever. The reality of who he is is evident to all. We say, well, you know, George, we're 2,000 years. It's not evident. No, no, it's evident. How do you know it's evident? Look at what he's doing in your life. The reality of Jesus should be evident in your life as he brings you through the things that you face, as he, he provides for you in ways that are amazing, as he does the miraculous in your life. And he does. He answers the prayer. And people say that. Like, how did that happen? Oh, it's just a coincidence. Wow, a lot of coincidences happen with God's people, don't they? But here's the reality. Jesus is real. And that's where our hope is. And that's the glory. Because he understands the things that I go to. And he's the one I go to. But I want to share that with others. But here's the thing. Don't destroy yourselves as you share. Because the rejection will come. The rejection is expected. But it's never about you. It's not even about Jesus. It's about them. And that's why we need to pray for them, right? God, would you open their eyes so they can finally see. Let me pray for you.